Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, can you stream out loud on all platforms? If you, yes, you find this valuable, the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Bruce Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest with us today. New music is on the way. I am ecstatic to be talking to Andy Minio, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here for it. Thank you for being here, bro. Number two gold record. Um, Neverland 2 is on the way. And uh, you've been creatively in a really dope spot, man. So congratulations. Uh, the official release date is... September 17th, correct? That's right. Me and Lil Nas X head to head. <laughs> Who gonna get the first week sales? Yeah, Andy Mio versus Lil Nas. That's awesome, yeah, man. Right. Hey, a lot of people may not know about this, know this about you. Um, you got your start in the underground hip hop scene, battle rapping, coming up as a hip hop head, and really just developing your craft when you were younger. And I think sometimes people kind of see where you are now versus where you started. And so yeah. let's jump into that. Andy Minio, young kid, exposed to hip hop. What was it about the music and the culture that, that pulled you in when you were young? Uh, I think early on it's, you know, it's, it's all your friends or it's um your friends or your older brother or somebody who's like into hip hop and they're putting you on and, you know, at that time, it was like Snoop Doggy Style was playing um, a lot of DMX, a lot of Locks, uh, Eminem, um, a lot of West Coast, you know, everything, uh, Dr. Dre. So I was just kind of fascinated by that. One of the things that always um, hooked me, too, was the skits, you know, like the skits mm -hmm. on um, Doggy Style and all those like Dr. Dre records. They were really funny um and vulgar and so it always like made me laugh it was always something that i shared with my friends and so <clears throat> that got me in and me and a, a good friend of mine ryan we started writing our own raps and so we would uh we would get the cd singles because we couldn't afford a full album and on the <laughs> no, singles, remember those days <laughs> yeah it was like uh, uh the instrumental would be on there so we'd take the instrumental and we write our own raps a lot of times we'd create parodies at first mm -hmm. so we place the lyrics and make them funny kind of like weird al style and then we started writing our own lyrics. And after that, it was um, it was about just kind of figuring out how to record ourselves on the computer. So we you start on a karaoke machine or did you did you jump right into a computer? Nah, my boy, Ryan, he's like a computer wizard. So he had the um, he had cracked a program called um, Cool Edit, I think it was called. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, I remember Cool Edit. It was like a little pencil microphone, like <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Buy it, you know, Best Buy or whatever. And he figured out a way to record ourselves. And so that was like the beginning of it. Um, after that, we got into like message boards called rapmusic.com and all these things mm -hmm. that you battle on there. And then I moved to uh, New York City out of upstate New York. And I started hitting the battle scene there. I was hitting the battle scene in, in Syracuse as well, but it just wasn't as vast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Syracuse where I grew up. So, yeah, I ended up being at some battles with, like, Loaded Lux and, like, different guys and just running around <laughs> hard battling. And um, 
yeah, at the same time, it was, it was an inner, inner, interesting moment in my life, like real early 20s and like having a, a beginning of my faith journey in a more serious way, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to make music more seriously, going to college, living in New York City. So all those things were kind of intersecting at the same time. That's dope, man. So what was the biggest contrast in terms of battling in Syracuse versus now you're in the big city, Manhattan, going to school and you, you, you're kind of in the big leagues. And this is this isn't this is this is when the battles went acapella. Right. Because I came up and we was freestyling over beats and instrumentals. New York was like, hey, yo, son, we yeah. don't you know what I mean? Like it was it, with the pool tables across and, and uh, international P. There was a show on television. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, what are they doing over there? And it yeah. seemed like, it, you know, some of it was freestyle, some of it was written, but you jumped from Syracuse to New York. And yeah. what was that transition like to go from something that was super duper, probably smaller town vibes to now you're in the big leagues? Well, it, it never, I never got to the point where I was like on smack or you are, I was like right before that. So I was actually freestyling at these events. Wow. Uh, okay. By the time, by the time it started to like really take off and I was like, getting more into making studio music mm-hmm. uh, everyone was starting to go like long form writings and that mm-hmm, became like mm-hmm. a whole long art form so i was winning these battles freestyle and like talking about the person the way they looked like right in front of me so i think the biggest difference is obviously that like it's like two different styles of battling you know battling freestyle with someone right in front of you and the crowd knows you're coming up with it on the spot uh is more of like leisure i guess mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. who do this professionally are like nah i'm taking weeks to write and memorize right. <laughs> yeah so i never got into it that deep but I, I won some things i won money i won tvs i won things like that you know what i'm saying so it, it was cool i got i was like right before you'd enter into like do i really want to do this do this right 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 and uh i just i, I enjoyed making music in the studio more so but yeah, it, was a, you, it was a cool moment, you know what I'm saying, to, like, develop that craft and that showmanship that I took into my live performances. Because you're really developing an album's worth of material for one of those battles, which never made sense to me. Like, I'm not going to write an album about another person and have to do all this research, you know, for, like, to do it once yeah. and then be done and move on. I think, I think clearly channel, channeling it into music obviously worked out. <laughs> so, yeah. um well, that's Something the tough you- thing about even like these um freestyles on like sway mm-hmm. and all that, right? It's like mm-hmm. you you write all these things out and then you're like, I can never use this again. This is him his to own, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, or you can put it on your own record, own it, sell it, put it out, you know. So right. it's a difficult thing because that's also a free promotion and things that make people really excited about your record. So you know, it's that. Yeah. What's unique about your journey, similar to my journey, is I didn't come to faith until later. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was like, I didn't grow up going to an evangelical church. And so I, I, same thing, you know, I remember going to, uh, to a Snoop Dogg, uh, Dr. Dre chronic tour. Uh, Shout out to Sheree Jackson. Uh, She's in the chat right now. She took, I had to have been like nine, eight or nine years old. And so I was raised on, on the same stuff, hip hop. Right. And then coming into the faith a bit later on in life, I feel like it allowed me to maintain 
some degree of connection to art and culture, right? And not just be like mm-hmm. completely submersed in Christian culture. Sure. Talk a little bit about that and, and, and some of the, the, the pros of maybe coming to faith in your, what, late teens, early 20s versus, you know, folks that like don't really know anything about music or art and they're yeah. so immersed in just straight Christian culture. Yeah, well, my mom was always a Christian from as far as I can remember back. So she would try to take me to like youth groups and mm-hmm. things like that as a kid. <clears throat> and uh, most of the time, I just didn't like them, didn't want to be there. I was really into hip hop, and that obviously like wasn't acceptable. Or like a lot of the kids there didn't like mm-hmm. that stuff. So I never really fit in very much there. But like later on, like you're saying, in my late um, teens, I had like a real experience. Uh, where I felt like I had established my own connection with my own relationship with God. And then I started to find this community of people that cared about Jesus and they cared about making cool art. And that was like such a rare thing for me to find because um, I think being a Christian and being young, it was, it can be very lonely, you know, mm. because you can feel like I don't have anybody who really understands me or like sneakers or likes you know, and say you walk into a church or a place. It's much different now, I think. Yes, much but different. It's much different now, but that's like, that's a culture that's been created over the last 15 years. You know what I'm saying? 20 years or however long. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I also never really wanted to be a Christian artist. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, and, and that's mostly how people see me for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, a interesting title that I've tried to like, weave through navigate through my whole career um especially as as i've changed as a as a man but um i never wanted to be a christian artist i remember talking to like alex medina early on we were going to college and i was like yo i don't really want to be in this world i want to make my music Mm -hmm. do things like the way i want to do them and like go the back door route around introducing people to faith or the ideas of faith Mm -hmm. And I remember I just got a lot of slander for that because at that point, like, <laughs> it was, uh, people were not with it. They're like, nah, bro. You know, yeah. I remember, I remember <laughs> I was like challenged to delete every song on my, you know, iTunes folder that, you know, it was the modern equivalent of throwing away all your secular CDs. You delete everything on your iTunes. <laughs> a lot of the friends I was hanging from and learning ideas from were very like hardliner at that point in time in their life and it's funny because none of them are hardliners anymore they're mm. all like i'm not even sure if i'm a christian type mm. um yeah that's interesting isn't it <laughs> so yeah so the cue i was taking cues from them and it was really at the end of the day i was like i probably should have just followed what my instincts were from the beginning about the, yeah. this whole deal but um nonetheless here we are and uh yeah so i think that's that's I've never, so I've never enjoyed, for example, like I hate, like I hate might be a strong word, but like I really dislike worship music. Um, I I feel weird being around overly churchy Christian people. It just like doesn't feel real. It's weird to me. Um, so I've never had like a strong affinity to like finding part of my identity in like church culture. Mm-hmm. It's always been in like hip hop and music and, you know, fashion and basketball and stuff like that. So um yeah it's been a weird uh emergence i talked about this today with my wife i was like man we we were going through the airport and i saw a kid with a shirt that said virginity rocks 
on it. <laughs> and I was like, you must be wearing that shirt ironically. And she's like, I don't think he's wearing it ironically. I think he's dead serious. And I was like, yeah. man, that's crazy. And I said, I wonder if that kid's a fan of my music. And I said, you know what's funny? There's some Christians who like don't rock with me at all because I'm not Christian enough. And then right. there's a lot of people who are, you know, not Christians. They're like, oh, you, you're a Christian, dude. I'm not going to rock with your music. So right. it's right. weird to, to feel like you land somewhere in the middle where you're, you're not holy enough or you're too uh holy for some you know yeah i think that is something that you know creative people have dealt with probably for a long time and will continue dealing with to some degree um it was the same you know when we were doing the breaks when when uh i first met you way back then 10 12 years ago it was the same thing we were we were considered the liberal christians and i was like we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't, we like, what do you, what does that mean? Like, we're, we're not yeah, having yeah. sex with our girlfriends. Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, but, you know, but, but y'all don't believe these things. And these are the things you need to believe because if you don't got yeah. this inside, then you, ah, your theology is sus, right? And, and to right. your point, uh, you know, people grow and evolve and, 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 uh, and change. And I think that is, the, the the frustrating part that can be is sometimes people go to art for theology and I'm always like, why don't you go to theologians for theology? Right. Like right, why, right. go to artists for art and, 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 and get theology from Bible teachers and preachers and pastors and people right. that are in that space. So it always seems like this, um, this weird standard that people are held to, um, which brings me to, uh, you know, coming in hot goes gold, crazy takeover. You got, you know, Kim Kardashian, all these people posting it. And then there's some, you, you guys are kind of catching some flack for it. Right. And I'm like, I, I don't know if you saw any of my videos, but I made quite a few videos kind of defending you guys. I, I joked and said, this is the reach records apologist channel. Um, <laughs> and I've made quite a few videos defending you guys. Cause I'm like, yo, what do you, what do you want? Like this, this is, this is a, a dope song that's yeah. touching culture that's not made like for the church it's it's from yeah. the church not for the church it's from christians not necessarily for christians it's for all people this is a win like this is a massive win what are you yeah. upset about right how did you process some of that criticism coming at your way from maybe some of the people that like oh andy you didn't say jesus enough on coming in hot like what was what was, what was your kind of because i'm looking at the macro and i'm like this is a win fam like because people are going to sure. go down the catalog people are going to go and do their googles because now right. this is a huge moment and uh well, how did you how did you process that when it was happening just just a few months ago and you know because the highs are like yo kim kardashian all these people are posting it and then the flip side is like now you're guilty by association because kim posted it and had something yeah, yeah. kind of sketchy on like it, it made no sense to me but i would love to hear your thoughts yeah. on that uh it's weird I, I feel like i've just been blocking out that type of language or energy for a long time anyways okay. so like the, the fact that people say those things is no longer a shock mm. at all to me. And I kind of, I actually went into my um, Instagram and I blocked certain words. I didn't know you could do this. So, I, know, I do this on YouTube. I didn't know you could do this on Instagram. You can do this on Instagram. And uh, like some of the ones I blocked, I think were like, really? Question mark. Uh, you know, <laughs> like whatever accusatory um, like statements that you would yes. get. Yeah, I just blocked tons yeah. of them. I think yeah. I even, I might, yeah, I blocked a lot of words. And so, like, I don't, I barely see some of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is like, wow, these people have no idea who you are, what their, what your life mm -hmm. is like. They have nothing to really base these things off of. And mm. 
most of the time it's like young 20 something kid who thinks he knows everything and trying to tell you stuff, you know, and you're just like, yeah. or just some people that, um, you know, some people that like just don't really consider the nuance of what it means to live a, a life fully as a Christian, you know, and yeah. how there's a lot of liberties in that. There's a lot of differences and opinions and, and methods of how to live out your faith. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know if I got time or I got like, I barely got time and energy to invest in the people in my life that I love and care about. Like I, mm. I don't do them enough service. Yeah. So like, how do I look fighting with you on the internet? Like, bro, I got friends I need to call. Yeah. You know, I have like text messages from Ruslan I need to respond to. Like, I don't do a good enough job <laughs> taking care of that. Yeah. Let alone like trying to defend myself on the internet. And so it, that's what I'm saying. Like I said it in a record recently, but I was like, I don't make for good TV as much these days, mm. but it like, I don't make for good TV, but it makes me a better man. Like, I forgot what I said on um, 1988. Mm-hmm. But it was like, when you let things slide, when you're not picking mm-hmm. fights, when you're not like on the internet for blood, it's like, it doesn't make for good TV, but it, mm. it makes me like a better human, a better man. And I think that's what I'm focused on working on. And so I love yeah. that, bro. That's so, that's so refreshing to hear. Um, one of the things I learned in therapy was, was uh, give up the need to defend. Give up the need to defend. Don't, you don't always have to defend yourself. If you're certain and yeah. your identity is solid in what you're doing, you don't have to go out of your way to, to, to defend yourself. Um, we had Lecrae on the channel recently, and he, he, he juxtaposed your guys' relationship to saying he's kind of more of the Jay-Z in the way he creates and the, the utility aspect, right? And we're talking about the coming in hot process yeah. and some of the new music you guys get got, got, got coming, which we'll talk about later. But And you're more of the, the Kanye uh, meander and get really meticulous and get super artistic with stuff. Yeah, I, I, got, I got a couple of questions on that, but the first one is, how do you work through the, per- the perfectionist to still put stuff out? Because you've sent me records that I'm like, fam, like this, like put this out. And you're like, ah, I don't, uh, the snare, like, I don't know. You know, yeah, like, yeah, Andy, yeah. this is amazing. Like, so like, I feel like I've heard a lot of records from you that are like phenomenal, but I know, I know there's that thing inside of you as a creative to want to really make stuff perfect where, you know, again, like a Lecrae or, or, or a Jay-Z-esque is going to look more on the utility side. And like, is this a good record? Does it sound right? How do you process that? And it seems like you've been really consistent at putting out stuff, surprisingly, right? Yeah. Which I know with, with your personality type, it, it could be difficult. So to right. talk about that. Yeah, it's this, um, it's this constant fight. Like, and I'm at war in myself, like, even as I'm talking to you about this now, because even like the mm-hmm. album never was getting ready to come out. I'm like, it's not ready. It's not ready. It's not mm. ready. But I'm like, the oh, snare. We, have the snare. we have a tour this fall. <laughs> yeah. We have a tour this fall. I need to make sure I put it out so that we can go on the tour because the tour was booked in January before the album was finished. And so it's all of that. It's like, oh, I want to make the most mind blowing album for people. And I'm like, oh, I ran out of time. I got to put it out. But I think that's the story of, most artists and or you know you can be like jay electronica you know what i'm saying and just be like i'm going away for 10 years you know i hope you guys are still waiting for me when i come back <laughs> and that's the tension it's like i could work on this album for four years and by the time yeah. i get ready to put it out all those kids that were freshmen they're in high school they're freshmen in college now like they might be not they might be on a different wave so 
you have to ride that line of perfecting and, and, and developing something, but also not leaving people waiting too long if, you, if you're trying to build something. And I still feel like as much as the successes I've had, I still feel like I'm a new artist. Like, I still feel like I'm a new artist to the rest of the world. I might be known in kind of a niche, but to the 99% else of the world, you know, I'm like still a brand new artist. So I'm like, oh, I still got to put my foot on their neck and like keep coming out with stuff every few months, at least once a year, um, as I've tried to do over the past 10 years. So, yeah, the perfectionist, uh, somebody said this in a in an interview. I forgot the exact quote, but it was like perfectionism is like what people settle for or achievement is what people settle for when they don't feel loved. Mm. And I don't think I've ever felt so naked hearing a statement, you know, but it's like mm. achievement is one of the things I think I lean on quite a bit uh, in my own personality type. I'm a three, which like I'm an achiever, I'm a uh, performer and um, I'm always trying to achieve and, and, and push myself and, and, I think a lot of that stems from like the brokenness I felt in my life, like not mm. feeling low, feeling abandoned. You know what I mean? So mm. I'm like, I'm going to show you through achievement. I'm going to be something. I don't, I might not feel like something like I, I matter. I belong. So I'm going to go get that through achievement. Wow. And so like, um, I think that's why I push myself further and further and further. And it's also just desire to, to push into new sounds and new, find new things and innovate. And to do that takes a lot of time. And and like this new Kanye album you just heard, right? Mm -hmm. Like I saw someone talking about it. They were like, what's the process working like with Kanye? And they're like, uh, you got to go in and lay demos. And then you lay more demos. And then you lay more demos. And then it's demos and demos. And, and the guy was just like, you can <laughs> tell exhausted. Like, yo, we worked on so many ideas. Yeah. And I think that's that's how you get to innovation is you have to try a lot of things, fail a lot to try to stumble upon something special or unique. And even though I know how to make a good song, typically I'm trying to find how to make not just a good song, but like an innovative song. And I don't always get there. Most of the time mm. I don't, but it's usually because I run out of time and I also run out of resources because I exhaust the people I work with. So I'll be <laughs> like, honestly, me and Kanye create very similarly. Like I went to the studio where he created um, one of the studios, Parhelion in Atlanta, mm -hmm. where he worked on late registration. And I was asking Ralph, the engineer there, I was like, yo, he worked here for that. Like, how did he work? Mm -hmm. And I had Vori and Beam and I had like a whole bunch of people in the studio. And yep. he's like, just like you're working right now. He's like three, mm -hmm. four different rooms filled out, trying a million different ideas, jumping in and out of studios. And I was like, wow, we have like a, a similar workflow. You know, Kanye is mm -hmm. like my my muse, right? So um, I, I a lot of people will go the distance creatively with him if he's like, do it 10 more times mm -hmm. because he's Kanye, mm -hmm. right? But if I'm like, do it 10 more times, like we got to find something different. People be like, bro, I got places I got to be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're burning me out. Um. And a lot of people will go the distance, like shout out Ace, you know, from Reach Records and yeah. some of the other guys I create with. But I run that risk pretty regularly of like burning people out, trying to create mm. uh, with them. And and that's a tough thing because you don't want to work with somebody and work them to death. And then when it's time to work with them again, they're like, I'm good. Mm. Like that was a nightmare. 
you know, like Steve Jobs gets a lot of crap for that. Like, even yeah, though he innovated, yeah. did amazing things, people were like a nightmare to work with in the mm-hmm. biographies and stuff because he was always pushing and pushing and pushing. So, you know, I think I'm a people pleaser too. So I want to please yeah. the people around me and my team and be like, all right, we delivered a project. Let's go. Even though yeah. it's never really finished to me. Yeah. So. It, well, the, the beautiful part is that you, at least you have the self-awareness and the practical tools to know all these things about yourself. So at the least you can attempt to mitigate some of this stuff. Sure. You know what I mean? When you, when you know, or even just set expectations like, Hey guys, this is what it's like to work with me. Just know up front, yeah. right? And and and, yeah. and I think that's always good. Um, what did you make of the Donda album and, and some of the the, the the parallels? I think of like coming in hot, and what Donda is again, music from Christians for people uh, versus yeah. music from Christians for Christians. Um, yeah. And and I think you were at one of the listening parties, if I'm not mistaken, right? So what did yeah? What did yeah. you you think you went to the the first one where it was like really demo yeah. rough, you know, yeah, <laughs> like not yeah. mixed. I went to the first one. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you what do you make of Donda and just and just just that whole thing? That'd be you know Kanye and him being a Christian and like the music he's making. That'd probably be a whole own conversation. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. And, but we I won't go all the way there. But to, to give you first um, impressions, I think. Um, hearing actually all the listening parties mm-hmm. kind of took away some of the wonder and the excitement of listening to the album the mm. first time for me. Okay. Okay. Because I was like, oh, I've already heard these and I heard like a bunch of versions of, you know, and so hearing the album was like, I was also in a bad mood that day, but uh, I was, <laughs> it like there's incredibly beautiful moments on there, you know, and like, the last time I cried listening to music was Kanye's um, Ghost Town. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, and the end of that song, it's like I put my hand on the stove just to see yeah. if I still bleed. You know, nothing hurts anymore. And I was in the airport, like it had just come out. I yeah, you said that. Yeah, like washing my hands and I start crying. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So he always finds a way to make like touching, beautiful, real music. I think he did that on Donda. Um, and then I think the track list was like a little messy and I don't know if that was, you know, he's saying like the label pushed him to put it out or whatever. And so he didn't get to finish it, but I think it's a little bloated. Like he probably could have cut out a few songs. Um, and then like maybe found a a different track list and, uh, it would have, he doesn't need to listen to me. My opinion doesn't really matter. He's the goat. What are we talking about? Uh, there's some beautiful moments on there. A lot of my friends were on there that worked on that. OG Volta did like 19 tracks on there, and they worked on my album with me and John Bellion um, for The Sword. So, like, them. I know Vori was on there. Uh, Aunt Clemens. A lot of the homies. So, it was cool to see that. But, um, yeah. What does my opinion matter anyways? Nobody cares about my opinion. <laughs> I think people Be honest, care. Like, he's kindly. It's great. Yeah, I, th- I think people care. I think, um, I, think, I think there's some interesting parallels there that are – I see a more bigger cultural shift, and, and this is what I mean. I see – I grew up in the, in the 90s and, you know, early 2000s, and you had, like, the Billy Graham Crusades – and promise keepers and all these different things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, and that was kind of the, the door. And like Miles McPherson was like the guy that sort of did something cool with having like POD and cross movement at a at a thing, right? And so there was this this movement where rock switched with POD, and it was and it was emerging. Um, 
but but it wasn't it wasn't it was still uh, like a Christian ghetto, like it was still on the side. This is this is this world where I think what's happening now. And you kind of you alluded to it. You said, you know, the, 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 the culture that's being built now with dudes that can like cool sneakers and like yeah. hip hop is there's this emerging thing. And so I, I see it in terms of macro. There's going to be people who grow up with no religious exploration like I did and their first introduction to anyone that is positively a Christian to them could be coming in hot or, and then going sure. down the rabbit hole of your catalog or Jesus is King or Donda. So there's kids right now sure. that like that DMX prayer to me in 99, you know, yeah. uh, is yeah. this is, th- this is going to be that to them. And it's going to be those For first sure. seeds that get planted. And so that's the part that I get excited about. Cause I see a, 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 a change in culture happening and I think you guys are big, playing a part of that. And that's that's exciting to me. And I think exciting yeah. to a lot of people that are into art and into music and into culture. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, <clears throat> there's some, like, really beautiful moments on this Donda album that are just, like, so pure, so beautiful to hear, like, like, I get choked up listening to that, Dolly Sosa, how mm-hmm. can I do like, Or 24, you know, like. I think a lot of people, it's not just like what you say is how you say it, right? That's like the truth. It's like in art, if it's beautiful, it almost doesn't matter what you're saying. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's so beautiful. The melodies are so dope. This guy could be saying praise Jesus, you know, and like I'm an atheist. It's still beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he does that really well, you know, and like I think that's going to be a bridge for a lot of people like you're saying to be like, I'll consider, you know, my relationship with God or I'll consider the beauty that he's talking about. And I think that is for sure worthy of excitement. There's always um, weirdos on the internet who want to, you know, criticize or add their opinion. And I'm like, you should go make your own music. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Make something better. <laughs> like make something better, man. You go make something. That That's how you can deal with this. Tell me the process of working on Neverland 2. Um, you, you, you alluded to it a little bit. When did this, when did this project start? And when did you when did you turn in the master? I turned in the master two months late, so we're trying to turn it in June first. So I turned it in August first. Um, <laughs> the album is narrated by my mother, which wow. is interesting because the uh, uh, and Donda he put his mom on there quite a bit too. Um, so I, that always is something that bothers me. I'm like, oh, if I get ready to put something out and it's been done for a few months and someone else does it, they're like, you bit it. You know, that always happens to me. Hmm. But um, it's narrated by my mom. Um, I found some interviews uh, from Saturday morning cartoons that never got put out. Hmm. And I was able to weave that through the project. Um, what else? Uh, I started fall 2019 on a lot of these records. That's hmm. like the... I know because that's the name of the folder on my desktop where a lot of the files live. It says okay. fall 2019. And um, probably but, still on your desktop, huh? Like the, that folder is still there amongst a bunch of other folders that are organized? Yeah. I had a <laughs> my boy B Steel saw how messy my desktop was, and he's like, <laughs> I have to fix this. Let me. <laughs> so he went in and did some stuff. But uh, fall 2019 is like when we started. Then we took a trip that was in Atlanta. And then we took a trip to Malibu and we like worked out of there uh, for a little bit. Um, 
it's just been it's it really it's like a trial and error process. Hmm. Some artists they make like I made ten songs, I'm putting out nine of them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the way I used to be. And then um, I think over the last few years is like once you know how to make a good song, you're not just trying to make a good song. You're like trying to push yourself creatively and find something different. And that's where you have to create a lot of things and then find the best parts. And oh, maybe I'll take the verse of this and I'll put it on that. And you know, you start tinkering. Um, so yeah, there's some songs on there like trying that I started writing in like 2018. Hmm. So it's old, but it's new to the rest of the world. And it was like, I had these incredible lyrics, like probably my favorite lyrics I've ever written. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I couldn't find the right beat for it. Mm. Oh, it's too slow. It's going to take too long to get into it. Oh, let me try a sample. The sample doesn't feel, you know, so um the process for me is like finding a a great idea and then trying to throw all my resources at it to bring it to life got it and so a lot of these songs you'll see on here like they're the fifth and sixth iteration of that song right because are are these you tweaking the production or the lyrics because i'm curious like how often are you rewriting verses how often are you rewriting songs or are these like you're kind of tinkering production and trying different uh, you know, sound textures around stuff? Or is it kind of like both? Like you said, you had these lyrics and then you were trying to find the right beat. What is it, the main thing when you're talking about working on a song? Is it, is it writing that second verse? You get the second verse in a hook out and then you're trying to find yeah. the second verse. Like, what is it that, that, that makes you, uh, you know, expend, spend this time exploring to find the sound? A lot of time is production. Um, okay. A lot of times production, but sometimes it's lyrics. Like I got this song. I don't know if I can't really say it. It's got a big feature on it. Uh, it's not coming out on this project. I'm going to try to do it on like a deluxe or something. But like I did it and I recorded it and I don't like my verse. And I like mm. I keep going back, tinkering, tinkering, trying to figure out a way to freak it. And I might just have to be like, yo, that's it. That's the end of my attempts. Like at some point you have to move on because mm-hmm. – you have to start counting the cost of am I pushing to make something better or could I spend the same five days tinkering to make this one verse better and work on two brand new songs that could be way better, you know? So it's always that balance of how much time do I spend? And I feel like there's a couple songs on this album that I spent so many months tinkering and working on that I, I ran out of time when I could have been working on new songs. Mm, mm, and got it. It, okay. it bothers me you know a little bit because it's really time management when it comes to creativity for me i don't have the luxury of like a kendrick to go away for like four or five years and have everyone like we're waiting <laughs> the whole world is waiting for you sir you know uh you know that's something he's earned after yeah. dropping amazing albums back to back and and like you know his path or whatever yeah. So that's the process for me, man, is just figuring out I, I, I have to love it. I have to like really be excited about it. And sometimes you have a song sitting around for too long and you start to fall out of love with it. Mm. And you're like, oh, maybe we should change the beat. And everyone's like, leave it alone. It was it was done a year ago. You know, how um, often do you lay a record and just instantly know this is it? I'm not twink- I'm not tinkering with it. Nothing needs to change about it. When is that? When does that happen? Almost never. Almost never. Wow. OK. Almost never. Um, but that's en- that ends up being some of the songs that like people like the most is the ones that are like the least effort. 
Yeah. Ironically. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you've been transparent about mental health. You've been transparent about dealing with anxiety, all these different things. Um, has working on your mental health helped with this creative process as well? Uh, I, I feel like I've heard you talk about therapy before. Um, has, has, yeah. has that kind of working on that side of things, working on your mind and just peace, right? Has that helped you kind of, because I feel like you've been more productive from, from the outside looking and work in progress was really good. That's probably some of my, my favorite music from you. And now this record, the, the, I think the three or four records I've heard from Neverland 2, I really, really like. So it seems like you're more, the output is higher. Is that because mm-hmm. of, man, let me work on my mental health. Let me, let me work on my mind. Let me work on my body. Let me, let me just, let me work on me. Is there, is there a correlation there for you? There probably is. Um, I, I, I can't like definitely, I can't like metrically track it, but I know for sure, like one of the things to getting my mental health in a better place was um, reorienting my relationship with work. And okay. so like, um, I love being in the studio. I love working. I love hard work, but that's what drove me into like a, a maddening cycle of like overworking, overthinking, Mm. driving myself into fear and anxiety. So now we've had to set up some more like parameters in my life. And I think those have helped me to be like, yo, I'm going to go work out in the morning. Then I'm going to hit the studio from like 12 to seven. Then I'm going to come home and spend the evening with my wife, Mm -hmm. you know, where before I'd be like working all night long, just like putting 12, 13, 14 hour days in the studio and I think you can get to a point where you just overwork yeah. and you're like, you stop being productive. So some of my, my people I look up to creatively, like um, John Bellion, like he's a, a buddy of mine, he'll be like, oh, I only work on music in like seasons. So he's like, mm-hmm. I completely walk away from music is what he told me one time. Like, oh, I just don't work at all. I just mm-hmm. like live my life, let things yep. in and then. It's like, oh, inspiration hit. Everyone get to the studio. Let's go. And like then lock in for a few months. So, um, you know, or some people are just working every day, you know, and I and I, I think I've tried to find a balance of that where like I have to get away from it enough to live enough life to have mm. something to bring into the studio. Mm. But if I feel like if I go away for too long, I start to lose some of the cadence and the rhythm of mm-hmm. creating, you know, like when you get back into working on something new. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I got to get the dust off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. get the dust off, the rust off. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's, like, like, oh, it's, play, it's like taking off. a month off from playing basketball, and then you're back in there, and you're like, ugh. Exactly. <laughs> this is the mechanics feel weird. You're exactly. still, yeah, yeah, for sure. My we, jump we, shot went over the backboard. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> so we, so uh, for me, uh, finding rhythms of rest have been, like, super helpful. So I've, like, since 2019 tried to, like, really make Sunday – a full-on rest day mm. like we don't talk about work we don't go to the studio like my management team everybody knows we just kind of like don't talk to each other bother each other sundays like really rest go play yeah. golf go do something else um and try to like really keep that um sacred in a way yeah yeah and so it doesn't mean i have i'm there's less work but it could mean that there's more productivity too yeah, less work, more productivity. I, I read a quote somewhere that said, creative people just need time to hang out and do nothing. Would you say that you also need some, some of that? Just hey, like, yo, we're just chilling. We're, we're not we're not talking about work. We're just hanging out. And then a lot of times ideas come from that that you could put into the art later. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent, because all my my best content and, and ideas come from interacting with humans and people and sharing ideas and thoughts and hey, what you been listening to lately? What movies you been watching? Oh, this Japanese art movie called Tampopo. Like, mm-hmm. yo, let's watch it together. You know, that's the stuff that starts uh, for me. Like, I'm such a creative person that like if you just put information in here like i'll i'll flip it around 20 30 different ways Mm -hmm. but i don't take the time enough to like put new saturate myself with new ideas Mm. i think that's like something i need to work on going forward is like i need more downtime to just go and listen to music and to watch movies and to watch art shows yeah so that i can bring it into my own head and my own world and, and freak it and make something unique you know that's beautiful man i think rest sabbath I mean, you know, community, you're hitting on a lot of things that I think if most somebody asked me, like, Ruslan, what would your advice be to Kanye? And I was like, well, first of all, to your point, like, my opinion doesn't matter. Two, it would literally be what you just described. Wake up at the same time every day, train every day, have a routine, a consistent routine, rest, leave time to hang out. And a lot, I think a lot of people in general, but specifically creative people, we need that, like, just that groove to get back yeah. into uh, because you can lock in and get super meticulous on something and, and it can lose some of that magic when you're just always grinding away because it's, it's not the same as like flipping tennis shoes or like, right. Cause like a lot of that Gary V hustle culture does not always translate to creativity because this is not right. how art works. Like it, it, it's different, you know, um, right. do you go ahead? Well, I was just gonna say, like a lot of a lot of the reason why I do a lot of what I do is is out of fear, you know. Mm. So I'm like, man, I don't want to just put out a song a day because what if they're not amazing, you know? Like a Gary Vee would say, put out a song a day. I'm like, what if it's not amazing? And a fear I have is if it's not amazing, people won't like it. They won't like me. They won't like my music. They won't, you know, want to rock with it. Mm. Uh, or um, sometimes the madness of this hustle to be like, I gotta get this studio. I gotta grind it's because it's like. Oh, I'm afraid I have a window of time where people will care and that window's closing. Like these are these are some of the things. Um especially in oh, hip hop. Yep. Or I'm getting older now. Oh, I passed 30, so might as well just be a grandfather at the you know, you're just <laughs> old as dirt at this point, right? Uh, it's so funny because it's like the beginning of life for everybody else. For then, everybody, for every rap. other industry, you get into your like pocket at 30 and rap, you're like Ah, I'm done yeah, a wash, like, son. <laughs> oh, I better wrap it up because I'm grandpa now. You know, so like these are all the and, – and whether or not these things are true, these are fears that drive me yeah. to be like, Yo, I need to do this now. I need to I need to work these obscene hours now because this window is going to be gone. I look at it like a pro athlete. They get like a little window to make a big impact and then, you know. So um, those are things I got to work on too, man, like – just not being driven as much by fear and just like believing you know my path and my journey like what's for me is for me yeah and, yeah so. i think i think what's what's um yeah that dude that's so refreshing i i i remember because i'm curious like what, what role does faith play into this now right and we kind of both were in the reformed restless thing right early yeah. on um, I remember, I remember that scene and I remember one of the times I was at, I was at your house the last time, well, no, not the last time we hung out, but one of the times we hung out, I brought John Keith over. You were still in New York. I think this is 2018. 
and uh, and you had said something in an interview that really was good. You said, and I think this is a quote from someone else, but you said the opposite, um, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is fundamentalism, or it's or the opposite of faith is certainty, right? Yeah. And 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 in in that, you know, we've all kind of man, I don't, I don't know about some of that stuff, right? Some of the hardcore fundamentalism, yeah. dogmatic thinking that, that some of us carried into uh, our, our faith a little bit, right? Back yeah, 10, sure. 12 years ago. Um, how does faith look for you now? Because I think for me, uh, there's, a, there's a different degree of humility and a different degree of patience with people in their process and in their journey. And knowing yeah. that like, fam, people aren't static, it's not like good guys and bad guys. Like people change and grow and progress and there's a process to this thing. Yeah. And different seasons of life open you up to like I just had a daughter. You know what I'm saying? And every like my like that was like, oh my gosh, like God is realer than he's ever been having yeah. kids and, 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 and the the miracle of birth, right? So how does faith play into this kind of coming from some of the more reformed, restless community? Not that not that you were like the mascot for any of that stuff, you know. But but you we were part of that. To now where you're at now, um, and 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 the follow up question is: Are you hopeful for the future of where the faith is going? In terms of we talked about the the, the musical stuff. We talked about even Maverick City music and some of the stuff they're doing on a worship scale, right? It's like it's a lot of refreshing elements here to me. But I'm curious to hear where you're where you're at in terms of the. How does faith play into the fear? That, that that's that's the question. How does faith yeah. play into the fear? Yeah. So for me, like um, through faith, I have to like believe I have an identity that isn't um, formed by like anything else besides like what God sees me as and what He calls me. Right. So I'm like that's something I, I try to hold on to. Like yo, know, my value is not in how much I produce or create or how much money I make. Right. I have to find my value in like belonging to God, being made in the image of God and like wrestle to, to hold on to these things. Because, you know, before I got on this call with you, I was on a phone call with management and some people and like getting some bad news, you know, mm. and it's like I have to wrestle with. um, Like all the real feelings that I have around disappointment and mm. anger with myself and shame or whatever, and then also know like. I can have these moments, but they don't have to be who I am because like who I am as an artist, as a performer, as the numbers I put up, like whatever, like that ultimately isn't my total makeup. And so like faith helps me um, work through that. I think another part of my faith journey is like, I'm a lot more gracious with people um, because I think in just in my early twenties, this might be an age thing too, but Typically, like when people come into faith and you see this, right, like there's a, a, a zealousness for like, wow, my life has been changed. I see things different. And then it immediately goes typically to like, now I need to be the teacher for everybody. <laughs> like Now I should be now that I have the right information. Yes. I should I should start a YouTube channel and be correcting everybody because they're wrong and I figured it out. And you're like, good. Give it a break, man. Like. Yeah. It, you know, Mike Tyson says, he's like, everyone's got a, a plan until you get punched in the face. And it's like, mm-hmm. at a certain point in my faith journey, the most important thing every single day was that I have to read my Bible and pray. And if I don't, I'm a terrible person and a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was the epitome of everything that could be Christian about me. Mm. Uh, not necessarily like 
how I internalize the things I read and, and live it out and how I deal with my finances, my relationships with people, my wife, uh, the way I make art, the way I treat people, you know, that's like way more nuanced and less sexy than being like, do you want to get into a theological argument with me? And I'll show you. Why I'm right. <laughs> right? Like, that's like, um, so it's like now I'm dealing with, Oh, the death of my mother. Mm. Uh, my friends are getting divorces. Mm. Uh, they're getting cheated on by their wife. You know, mm. um, people don't even believe in Jesus anymore. And they're like some of your best friends. And mm. now like you built your relationship around connecting on those things. And now you're trying to figure out how to connect with them again. Like life gets more complex and nuanced. And I, I think like, you know, when I'm dealing with those things or working through like, what does that look like? Someone coming up to me being like, did you read your Bible today, bro? Mm. You know, I'm like, bro, leave me alone. Uh, I appreciate the sentiment, but um, like that might not be the thing that I need right now. Not to not read my Bible, but just like not your opinion Mm. coming, you know, coming for me. So I've, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like what faith looks like in different seasons of life. And I think the fundamentals stay the same, right? Like, Try to uh, stay connected to God through word, through prayer, um, through relationship with people that love God and care about Him. Um, and then just figuring out like what that looks like in different seasons of life is like, that's the tricky part because it's not all cookie cutter as it might seem at the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. You, what you communicated is uh, it's a phenomenon that people don't quite understand when you talked about somebody gets saved and now they want to teach everybody and argue. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a phenomenon called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the people who are least competent in something are the most confident in something. And they've done studies and they've surveyed engineers and they find out that the, that the bottom 40% of engineers at a company, for example, think they're all in the top 5%, right? The most average of drivers think they're wow. great drivers. And so what it is is the moment you learn something new, there's this thing in our brain to, to, to say, I got all the answers, fam. And, and the, the inverse of that is true is like, is like on the other side of that, when you are actually very competent at something, you feel the most like an imposter because you don't, you know everything you don't know. You know how inadequate you truly are. And that's a real thing called imposter syndrome, right? So it's like right. the least competent people come off the most confident and certain. And then the most competent people, I would say like yourself in music, are oftentimes like, ah, but am I worthy? I know I could give more. I know I could do better, right? And so it's this imposter syndrome that people on the other end of the spectrum. And then the medium is just like, gospel, Jesus, yeah, I think I kind of got that down, you know, but they're not like on fire yelling at people, telling, you know, trying to have a, trying to be right, where it sounds like what we're both saying is, hey, I want to be reconciled to God. And I, instead of being right, and I want to be reconciled to people instead of being right, and I want to be a reconciler instead of being right, and that so that's a real phenomenon, man, called the uh, called the, the Dunning Kruger effect, and it'll blow your mind. You can go do some research on that, and it is it is everywhere. It's in politics, it's in medicine, it's in, it's 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 happening right before our eyes. The people just are so certain, and it's like, fam, what makes you an expert on this? Oh, you read a blog, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, you read a blog, or like a podcast. Right, our podcast, right, right, and so everybody's an expert, man. So um, that's yeah, that's that's interesting that you say. It makes a lot of sense to me. 
And it's not only just like what I see in myself, but like in other things across the board. Like I was telling you, there's some kid who has like a YouTube channel. All he does is correct everybody's theology. And you find out this guy's, yep. like, you know, 22 years old or something. You're I like, tried to take that kid out to lunch. He's in San Diego. And I, and I pressed him before I saw the video. I'm not going to say his name because I'm not giving out free, free clout tokens today. But he's in San Diego. And I pressed him like, yo, like, let's go out to lunch. Like, let's like multiple times hitting him via DM, via text. And, really? Yeah. He's not trying to. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and you know, I, I'm not. I, I'm not even gonna. Again, I'm not even gonna say his name, but yes, for sure, heresy hunter. Let me expose yeah, people. Why, all that. Yeah. Why yeah. Is this, why is this like your mission in life? Uh, you know. <laughs> but I just see stuff like that all the time, and I'm like, oh, you just haven't lived enough life, you know. So like in your bubble, you got everything figured out, so you get the chance to correct everyone else. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about like, what do I think is like am I hopeful for the future of Christianity and stuff? Like one part is yes. And then the other part is like, I think a lot of things got to be torn down and changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is, this could be probably its whole own conversation, but I really think the future of like church and Christianity in America, if it's going to be authentic, I think it actually has to be really small and not hmm. marketed. Hmm. Okay. Talk to, yeah, tell me more. Um, it's a couple of things. One, I think um, we have to stop building churches and models of like capitalist models um, where they're built off of like basically an entertainer and a face, uh, because I think what that does is it creates professional Christians. So people that are paid <laughs> to be Christians publicly. Um, and even as I say this, you know, like some of those places are big churches or places that want to come in and pay me to perform like that's that means they'd be taking money out of my pocket. And so, you know, so I say this with all like sincerity, like I I think if people want to trust Christianity, like trust Jesus and like trust the community, um, a lot of things have to change because we essentially are running like businesses built off of entities and faces and entertainers that like once they inevitably fall, like 99% of them do and have some big public scandal, tons of people are hurt. And and it's... It's typically because we didn't teach people how to like be the church. Mm-hmm. We taught people how to go to church mm. uh, and just be like a passive um, obs- observer and consumer and not be like, no, you have gifts. You need to be like uh, participate here too. It's not like we're not just all here to watch this one guy or girl preach mm-hmm. and like teach us all how to be professional Christians. Um, I think pastors need to have an off ramp that isn't just scandal. <laughs> like, so people should be able to come in and be like, Hey, I'm going to serve here. I, well, first of all, I don't think anybody should be a pastor until they're at least 30 years old. So a hundred percent, like do not, that, that's my opinion. I'm like, mm-hmm. y'all want to really be like Jesus, be like him and start ministry at 30 yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, for so many reasons, but that's one Two, If you want to not be a pastor anymore, you shouldn't feel the pressure of, uh, now I've failed. My church has failed. You know, mm-hmm. my identity's wrapped up in having a successful church. Like you should be able to be like, hey, this is my stop. I'm getting off. Mm-hmm. Um, this was incredible, but I, you know, I need to transition and change yeah. in my life. Amen. A lot of people feel stuck and they can't mm-hmm. do that. So I, and I think it's because the whole thing is built around one person instead of like the community of people. Mm-hmm. And then when you have a church that's built off of tithes and offerings and giving, like 
you won't say things because you don't want to offend or piss off people that pay your bills and keep your lights on and employ people. So I like, that's why I'm like, for me, the church that I've been going to has just been a handful of people that all want to grow in their relationship with God and um, nobody's paid to be there. Hmm. And I don't know if that's the right way right now, you know, but just like, it's what I'm doing right now because it's really hard for me to trust somebody who stands up there at this moment in time. And I know they're being paid to be there mm. and there's nothing wrong with being paid, but just knowing that that can create a, a conflict of interest. hundred percent. So hundred percent. There's a lot of layers. Like I've even proposed this idea to a friend. I was like, yo, what if church was um, invite only? Like, so you it's not advertising. Not, no, you're not being put through a funnel, like a mm. marketing funnel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not like, hey, free pizza. Like maybe then I can get you into this thing, you know, and, and get them all the way down. What if it's like, now nah, we don't market this thing. It's marketed by the people who go here. They need to go and let people know by having real relationships with them and then invite them. That's good. So it's not like, you know what I'm saying? And it sounds elitist when I say it, but the real intention of it is to be like, nah, what if the people act of the church acted like the church? kind of the way they do in, in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have I've to be invited been... to these underground churches uh, yeah. because it's illegal. Yeah. I like that. You you're, getting a little, you're, getting, you're getting a little fuzzy on me. I don't know if it looks fuzzy on your end. Um, See, that's God trying to correct my false. <laughs> God's like, no, Andy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's beautiful, man. I think that's, that's really good. I, I got, I'm going to ask you a hard question. I'm gonna ask you a hard question, and, we'll, and then we'll wrap. Do what? Do, do you you mentioned like, well, you know that can take money out of your pocket. Um, do do you feel like you've been complicit in that institution of market, like the marketability of Christianity? And are you are you doing things to mitigate that? I know you you've been touring secular venues consistently, which I think is beautiful. I think that's the way it should be. Honestly, like I like I think like playing in churches is is just is weird, you know, especially if you're making music, yeah. not necessarily for the church. It's not worship music, yeah. but like, do you feel like you've been complicit in that and kind of what are your steps to, to mitigate some of that? Yeah. Tell me if I'm breaking up. Cause I know it looks like I'm a little goofy right now, but um, yes, I will say I have played a part in this whole like larger system and it's created a lot of conflict for me because um, I started building a life and a career and employing people the same way I'm talking about with church. And once you realize, oh, um, I shouldn't completely be reliant on this system, you have to start to think about all the people that are now reliant on you for income. And you're right, mm-hmm. like your managers, your day to day assistants, your tour managers, your DJs, your musicians, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. And so there's certain times when you're like, oh, we need to take the money for an event in order to keep our business afloat to be able to keep doing what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's always a tension point. And so that, I think that is a problem that most people run into once they start having success is like, now you have to start making compromises to maintain the success. Mm. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to get to a place like this is why I'm investing a lot in real estate and things outside of music so that I no longer have to be dependent on anything regarding music And I can just say yes exclusively to the things I want to say yes to and say no to everything else because my lifestyle is completely unaffected. Um, What I've tried to do by being a Christian who's also an artist is 
it's not like I don't want to go to my brothers and sisters who are Christians and be like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna perform for you guys. I want to put on a show and like encourage and inspire y'all. It's like it's not like yo, if you're a Christian and you're in church, I don't want anything to do with you. That's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's I'm also not exclusively marketing myself to like just be seen as that, right? Yes. So that's yeah. why all my tours for since 20 whatever, 15, 16 have been in the House of Blues, you know, the mm-hmm. Fillmore, uh, mm-hmm. Showbox Soto. Like, I'm I'm playing all the Will Turn. I'm playing all these venues that are clubs and bars, and I get people that email. Are you? Is there gonna be alcohol there? It's like, of course it is. It's a bar. <laughs> it's, it's a club, fam. <laughs> yeah. Like, and the reason why I'm playing that is so that it's in a neutral ground. So yes, whatever you believe, you can come there and show up and feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, now, what that what people don't know is they think like, oh, that's a sellout move. And I'm like, no, no, the sellout move would be to do a complete church tour. Come on. Which immediately allows a thousand people to be there because they're just members of the church. So it's like, oh, I sold a thousand tickets. Like, no, you didn't. Someone's your church <laughs> Second, they don't take any merch fees. So at a regular club, they're taking twenty five percent of your merch. So if you make ten grand in merch, twenty five hundred of it's got to go out to whoever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At a church, they're like, nah, you keep it all. So it's like you make more money, you get bigger crowds, you get more quote unquote ticket sales. Yeah. So me intentionally moving away from that is an, is an attempt to make sure like I'm trying to be in neutral ground so I can cool. be able to be accessible for more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to make sure that like whatever outlets we connect with are people that understand the nuance between faith and art. Yeah. And that's why we wanted to get on your channel because uh, we know, although you come from like the Christian hip hop scene, you also understand the nuance and the balance of what it means to be a well-rounded human, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's why it's like important that there's channels more like, more like yours, you know what I'm saying? Who can move through spaces. And, you know, we probably don't agree on everything with this stuff, yeah. but it, that doesn't matter to me. It's yeah. like, yeah. it's more that the conversation is happening than being right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and and and, I, and when I had Lecrae on, you know, we talked about how he he's worth half in the world, you know, a fraction of, of what his market rate is in the world versus in the church. And he was very transparent about that. And so that to me, because I because I know the the math behind this, because I've thrown shows at the House of Blues, and then I've also thrown shows at my church, and I know what the numbers look like. I get very uh, defensive and almost combative when people are like, they're selling out. It's like, no, fam, they're taking an L by doing more neutral venues. It's cheaper to rent out a church, if not free. Uh, Like you said, there's already built-in things. Let's not get into them love offerings, ticket sales plus a love offering. Like, you know, the merch merch is higher. You could buy, just proxy get more people there in the door because you could bring your little children. You can't really bring little children to a club. There's so many pros. So if if the, 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 the part that people are missing is the real finesse is actually fleecing the church market and <laughs> taking it for all it's worth. That's right. the actual, right. fin- that's the lukewarm person. Yeah. Like that's the person yeah. that's compromising, not someone like you or Lecrae that are saying, all right, like I, I, I got to fall back from the rock and road worship tour. I got to fall back from winter jam. Like, okay, I did it for a season. We did it, but I, I got to really rebuild and go this direction. And, and that's commendable, bro. And, and I think, and I wish more people would tell you would, would, would like acknowledge that, but then they just don't know how the, 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 the thing works. They don't understand what this is. They don't understand the, yeah. the, the, the mechanics of it. Um, 
So thank you for breaking that down because um, I think it's good to hear from from you and not just you know from me because they don't they won't believe yeah. me if you say me. And and you're even talking to a guy who doesn't have it all figured out himself either, man. Right. Like, right. I like, I'm not in a situation in my life either where I'm just like, oh, bro, I'm I've made so much money, I don't have to do anything anyone says ever. You don't get. Yeah. It's one of those places where you're like, yo, I want to maintain a healthy business. And at the same time, I want to be true to what I believe and, and move, Come on. you know, in a way that is honorable to God. And that also, like, stays in alignment with my vision of, like, not just making um, songs for the church, but, like, from yeah. the church. Amen. So, Amen. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, September 17th, Neverland 2. I'm I'm gonna I'm actually gonna listen to that joint when I go to the gym earlier because I got the you know I got the 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 box link. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can, can people y'all go pre order that joint, man? Support Andy, support Reach. Um, do do uh, people are asking? You got the line? Might go independent like Dill. I gotta ask Andy. Is uh, that is is that is that is minor league gonna be the main all in house shop? Uh, we're really just still in conversation about that whole deal. Um. Because, you know, basically I've just, by turning in Neverland 2, I've fulfilled my obligations um, with them. And now it's just like one of those moments when you really got to think through, like, what's the best situation to re-sign, to go see what other options are out there, uh, to go independent and build everything yourself. And for us, you know, Reach has just been such an incredible home and family for us, you know, so it'd be hard to leave them, but at the same time. You know, I'm getting to a place in my life where I got to really consider like what my next moves will be and like what kind of ownership I want to have in in yeah. my future. So, you know, it's a lot of that um, kind of still in the works. And we haven't even really had time to stop and breathe and to think yeah. about what the next steps are because yeah. we just been trying to finish Neverland to get ready for a tour, try to shoot all the music videos, do the promo, you know, yeah. trying to make things exciting for people. So I think... Yeah. Um, that's that more of whatever the next moves will be will be coming forward in the next like year you know got it uh what could people be praying for you for that's my, that's my last question what, what 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 do what do what are the things that your your fans who are people of faith um can be praying for andy can be praying for the team um the fam what are, what are things that we can keep you in prayer for yeah i think those things right there just like the big decisions that have to be made um, regarding like what the next steps are for that. Always be in prayer for me and my family. Um, you know, like me and my wife are celebrating seven years of being married. Hey, congratulations. Uh, so, yeah, it's incredible, man. We love being married. Um, we got some people with illnesses within our family, you know, dealing mm. with things right now and COVID's been crazy. So, you know, just like uh, mental, physical, spiritual health, always keeping us in prayer for those things as they're, like integral for us doing what we do and just living healthy lives. And um, I'm always grateful for the prayers of, of, of other people, man, as they, it's not like Kendrick, ain't nobody praying for me. I got some people <laughs> praying for me. I'm grateful. Man. Thank you so much, brother. I just want to encourage you, man. I, I, I think, uh, I think what you contribute to art is amazing. I don't know if you fully grasp how good you really are sometimes, um, and how how effortless the music feels, even though I know you worked really hard on it, man. And it's it's been encouraging to see you consistently just keep getting better, um, keep improving the live show, keep the, the branding, being meticulous about all the details. Um, it's dope, bro. And I think and I think this is what um, I think this is what we need. I, th- I think we need 
art at a high level from from Christians who love God and love their wives and are doing their their part to to add something to the world, man. So thank you for coming on, bro. Thank you for being so so vulnerable and so so transparent. And y'all go pre-order Neverland too. That joint is available for pre-order. Um, yeah. iTunes, AndyMinio.com. AndyMinio.com. We have everything up there. You can pre-order it. You can pre-save it. Uh, that helps a ton to get like these first week numbers up. You know, I would always just encourage you guys, man, um, to whatever way you can to share it, uh, help get the pre-orders up and the sales up because um, it just helps tell a story to get our music in front of new people. Um, you know, anytime something charts or billboards or, get, you know, people get to see that, it introduces the music to more people. And there's a story around it that the mainstream can actually come around and grab and, and pay attention to and give coverage to. And so we always aim for those things. It's not just to put, you know, money in our pockets or whatever. That's like obviously a benefit, but it helps to continue the story of what we're doing when people have more visibility of it. So that helps a ton. And I'm grateful for all you guys' support, man, for real. Andy Minio, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. I'll let you go. Thanks. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. When the culture says do what you love, we respond with love what you do. You may have responsibilities that you aren't passionate about, but loving what you do means being faithful to what's in front of you, committing to excellence as if that were your greatest dream. Colossians 3.23 says, Work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Love what you do. Love what you do. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yo, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. If you found it valuable, considering giving it a like and subscribing. This month, I'm releasing the Love What You Do collection. And to celebrate, I'm doing a three-day virtual event to help us go from learning to love what we do to ultimately doing what we love. By the way, it's free, so hit the link in the description to grab your seat today.